Consummate Athlete seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back. We are here. It is the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We are excited today. We are talking about bikes. We are talking about females who ride bikes. It's a good week. Yeah, um, I'm actually pretty excited. Uh, We are one week out from the launch of Shred Girl's Book 2, Allie's Rocky Ride. So this is a middle 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 grade. grade fiction yeah it's part of the shred girls series um you find all the details over at shred-girls.com um this book uh ali's rocky ride second book in the series first one is Lindsay's joyride um sadly because of covid19 the publisher has actually shifted to pretty much doing only ebooks for most of the books coming out this summer so unfortunately Allie's rocky ride will not be in print it's only available as an ebook but that doesn't make it any less awesome the illustrations by violet lemay are so stinking cute um like i can't even handle how good they are it's amazing i'm really excited about the story um it's all about uh, Allie, who you might remember from book one sort of conquering her her fears and her self-confidence issues um she's a she's a rad mountain biker there's some some downhill some mountain biking uh yeah it's it's a it's a good one now you're doing a virtual launch party as well yeah this was sort of something i i started thinking about a few weeks ago and just kind of started pulling together um pretty pretty quickly here but uh yeah we're gonna have a virtual launch party on july 21st from 3 to 6 p.m eastern um, you can find all the details for that over at shred-girls.com. If you're subscribed to the newsletter, I'm going to send out sort of the full agenda uh, on this Friday. So definitely make sure you're signed up for the newsletter to, to get that information. We're going to have uh, some Instagram Live, some Zoom, or sort of a combination of the two, I guess. Uh, I'll do some yoga. We're going to have a reading. I'm going to have some real-life Shred Girls hopping on to talk about some of their favorite topics. We might get Peter to show us a bike skill or two if he's in the mood. Oh, perhaps. We'll see. Um, DW might make a guest appearance. I'm sure he does like to jump in front of the, the video camera. Yeah, and I mean, I honestly, like one of the major characters in Shred Girls was sort of inspired by the fact that I desperately wanted this mini dachshund. Uh, in Shred Girls, the, the head coach, Phoebe, has a mini dachshund named Penguin who looks an awful lot like DW. Right. Okay. So we have the key things are the book is on pre-order, Amazon, wherever ebooks are sold. Yep. We have a launch party coming up. Next what was the week. date for that? Also next week. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Launch party is the same day as the book oh, comes out. It's convenient. Out. We can keep those dates straight. Mm-hmm. July 21st. Mark your calendars. Awesome. Cool. And today, kind of almost in celebration of that, we have another Shred Girl in real life on the podcast. We have Amanda Nauman, who is another... Another Wide Angle Podium Network podcaster. Um, she does a lot with Grodio. If, if anyone is unfamiliar with that show, highly recommend checking it out. That's right. Yeah, they discuss all the latest in, in gravel. Yeah, and Amanda is an amazing gravel racer herself. You might know her as Amanda Panda. That's, that's sort of her nickname in the racing circuit. Uh, she and I go way back to fighting each other for running Stravas in New Jersey, actually. Um, we both happened to start tackling them at this one reservoir. 
um, very kind of happenstance, despite the fact that uh, when we met, she was actually already living out on the West Coast, and I was sort of... She was flying back to New Jersey for these Stravis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was sort of all over the place, so our paths have crossed for the last uh, more than a decade now, I think. Um, yeah, so she's she's very similar to me, except much faster. Uh, triathlete turned cyclocrosser turned gravel grinder who still cyclocrosses like a boss. Um, we talk all about it. She has two wins at the DK 200, soon to be renamed. So I'm like not even sure how to introduce, like how to how to say. I think that's what they've been going with is DK. Um, what that will stand for, who knows? But maybe on the Grodio show, I think they might even have a recent episode oh, sort of in that direction. Yeah, so everyone should definitely check that out after they listen to this episode. Uh, yeah, it's a really fun one. And I think what we we like about Amanda is that she hasn't been afraid to sort of pivot her, her career and sort of follow where her passions in racing have gone. Like she's carved out a really cool spot for herself sort of in like the cyclocross, gravel, even a little bit of mountain biking scenes. Right. Um, and she's just, yeah, generally total badass bike racer um just one of like the nicest kindest humans that i know she's always been super fun to interview i think i've probably been interviewing her for similar to katie compton like eight or nine years at this point so it's always fun to kind of go back to the the beginning go back to their roots when i'm talking to to women like this awesome well we get some good gravel tips here yeah definitely all right enjoy this episode with amanda nauman Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. Yeah, thanks, Molly. I'm excited, too. Like I, I've told you before, I listened to the show many times and selectively found the ones I wanted to listen to, and they're always informative, and I love them. So, yeah, it's a treat to be on here. I love it. And, I mean, I remember... I, I couldn't tell you what year, but I, I remember you from like your first like cyclocross events that you were doing because we both kind of got started at relatively similar times, I would say. So how did you come to cyclocross in the first place? Yeah, it's a it's a funny story. So I that was, I guess, 2013 was probably my first like real season, um, 13, 14, because the year before that I was just doing some local stuff. Um, but basically I was doing triathlons in college. I got a job at felt bicycles in Irvine, um, which was like a, the summer before I was going to graduate, I had an internship and basically all my coworkers raced cross and they, it was like a big local scene in Southern California. I mean, even at the time, like there were pe people still doing race reports and submitting them to CX magazine. I remember SoCal Cross was like one of the few local scenes that was doing their own race reports. Yeah, which, yeah. by the way, as a former editor of Cyclocross magazine, I deeply appreciated because it gave me content. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I thought it was so cool because anytime I was winning stuff locally, like I was in CX magazine and you guys were publishing that stuff. And I think that really boosted my confidence. Um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so that all happened and basically how it turned out was uh one of a friend of a friend was going to a race and I was hanging out with Dave Sheik at the time and he was like come to this race and like we'll go for a bike ride afterwards and that's how he tricked me into bringing clothes and stuff and so I got to the race and he was like you're racing in an hour I already signed you up you're gonna ride my bike and I slammed the seat posts and like we'll just we're just gonna make it work and I freaked out because I was it was so outside of my comfort zone. I wanted nothing to do with it. But at that point, he already knew my personality and he knew that I, I wasn't going to sign up for it myself. And that's why he like forced me to do it. 
Um, oh my gosh, that's yeah, amazing. So, <laughs> so that was my first race, basically. And uh, I think Hannah Finchamp won, and like Amanda Shaper was second. And I won the Bs, but I was like third overall. So that was, yeah, that was my first cross race. <laughs> I did not realize you started in triathlon, actually. That's, yeah. so I was sort of the same thing. Um, yeah, triathlon into cyclocross, um, just because that was what my college cycling team raced and I needed to get faster on the bike. Um, how yeah. was your experience of going from like the triathlon scene to the cyclocross scene? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I love doing triathlons. Like, I was a swimmer uh, all through college and stuff, and so it was a, a natural thing for me to do, and I, and I enjoyed triathlons because it made me appreciate swimming better, um, and I, at one point, didn't want to finish swimming all four years, and doing triathlons, like, balanced everything out, and I was able to, you know, finish swimming for all four years, Um but it's funny because I thought it was going to be fine, but the reality is I hate running and there's nothing that's going to change that. <laughs> so yet, it's still, yet cyclocross, yeah. though. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so yeah, speaking of which, uh, running for cyclocross then, yay or nay? Oh, I mean, I, I do it reluctantly. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> I like, like, I know I have to, so I do it because I have to. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I also found for me, like switching to cyclocross, it was suddenly like, oh, there's actually a community of people because I, you know, I don't know about the West Coast tri scene, but East Coast, you would go to a race and you wouldn't really talk to anyone other than people you brought to the race. Like I never made a friend yeah. in triathlon, but the first weekend I did cyclocross, I left with like dozens of new friends. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's one of the things that drew me to like the dirt communities and bikes in general was because triathlon swimming it's so such an individual sport and there's nothing required by anybody else except you to execute those things and then all of a sudden you're thrown into this sport that requires multiple people to ensure that you can even finish yeah. <laughs> and like you make friends quickly and it was such a different atmosphere that I wasn't used to at all growing up and I, I really enjoyed that yeah um, yeah and definitely yeah. like it's still very competitive, I find, but it's it's still, like, more pleasant, I guess. Like, no one is mad at you for winning. Everyone is generally, like, super supportive in the cyclocross scene. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And fun fact, did you know I went, I went to school in Jersey? Oh, my gosh, I did because I realized we, had, we were, like, on the same Strava leaderboards, like, ten years ago. Oh! Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, in, like, Round Valley, right? Yes, in, exactly. Round, yes. <laughs> oh yes, my gosh that is so funny <laughs> so good I feel yeah I feel like our lives have been like circling each other's for for years um because I think actually like I raced a SoCal cross race the year like a year after your first race and it was like one of the few that you weren't at um, ah. and I'm trying to remember oh, yeah, which yeah, one yeah. it was yeah <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about and then it was like the season after that that you were in town and did that junkyard cross yes. thing that filmed yeah <laughs> Yes. Yep. I love it. Um, okay. Now, before we get into gravel, because I, I really want to talk a ton about gravel today. Um, how did you end up with the nickname Amanda Panda? Uh, I had a friend in high school who is half Mexican and I'm half Asian. And she just, I don't know, came up with Amanda Panda one day. <laughs> and it really um, stuck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it stuck. It, yeah. It stuck in swimming and then it carried over. And then that's just how people referred to me. So, I mean, some people still think that that's like my last name if they don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Amanda P. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
That's amazing. Um, and okay, so your your definition of yourself is like cyclocross gravel mountain bike racer. Um, which would you yeah. say is sort of like the main one now, if you had to pick one? Um, that's a that's a hard question because I would say I'm more passionate about cross, which might be controversial, but. Mm where do most of my paychecks stem from is probably gravel. So Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, it's like a, it's a give and take. I think sometimes that I'm playing with because I found success in one and ultimately I really tried to leverage the success in gravel for cyclocross support. Like that's how I was sending emails like, Hey, I won dirty Kansas, like support my cross season this year. Like that's how I framed it. Not, not I'm going to focus on this gravel step. (laughs) I mean, speaking of which, uh, one dirty Kanza is a pretty big freaking deal. Um, how did that feel? Oh, <laughs> uh, it was, I mean, it, yeah, looking back on it, uh, and even that year that I was sending those emails, it wasn't that big of a deal. Like to my sponsors and everybody in 2015, you know, Rebecca had won it three times. She had given some clout to the race, but ultimately nobody was it it didn't have the prestige that it does have now and so for the most part most of my sponsors like oh yeah that's cool some random 200 mile race in kansas great good for you whatever (laughs) and then you know down the road i think they realized the value a little bit more um but yeah it was pretty awesome that year to win it but it did still feel like a, a a bubble of sorts you know like it was only certain people that maybe respected that win (laughs) it's funny because like in my head it was a big deal because i i guess yeah being in that bubble i remember that and being like holy crap amanda won dirty kanza like (laughs) i knew you from cyclocross but that was to me that was a huge deal Um, yeah okay 200 miler versus 40 minute all-out cyclocross race which is harder uh Mm, I mean, lo- long term, it's the 200 one that's harder. Yeah, but uh, because there there are certain cross races, though, where I don't want to say it's easy, but you get into that mode of like, it, it you're in that like flow state, and it's like executable, and you can just get the job done. But no matter what, for 200 miles, it's, there's going to be a point where you're not going to want to be there. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. yeah. That's it. I was talking to Katie Compton actually yesterday, and I said to her that I think I only got into ultra running now because cyclocross to me is the hardest sport in the entire universe. And <laughs> to me, like ultra running is so much easier because at yeah, no point are you like you're trying hard not to redline. Whereas in cyclocross, the minute you stop redlining is the minute you're just like off the back. True. And... <laughs> true. Yeah. 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 Very true. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess for some reason, like, being, you know, it may, like, I'm removed from cross enough that, like, it's that time of the year where I think only the good things about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's easy to look back and be like, ah, oh, yes, the amazing, beautiful cyclocross. Yeah, exactly. Then you start remembering. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, gravel training. How did you, how did you start going from, you know, finishing cyclocross season in, you know, February to... I'm going to go race Dirty Kanza at, like, the end of May. How do you prep for a 200-miler? Um, yeah, so in the beginning, it was mostly doing these long events was, like, just motivation for me to do the long endurance base mile stuff that I needed to do for cross season. And then as I found success in those longer events, you know, then I'm, like, juggling actually trying to do well at them and, and building up for cross season and stuff. 
Um, but now I would say I'm just like careful about the events that I pick. I've done, there's definitely been a couple years where I did too many events and then, you know, it, your body's just too stressed out from, it's not just like a five hour ride. It's a five hour ride, like as hard as you can go mm-hmm. in some of these events. So it's different. Um, and yeah, it was like, I think where I am locally, I had events like rock cobbler and Belgian waffle ride um, and even like Chino Grinder and stuff were all within driving distance. And as this discipline grew, I was just lucky because things were close by. It wasn't like I was traveling somewhere to go to this event. Yeah. Like I was sleeping in my own bed and then going the next day. So it was it was pretty convenient. And I think that that's part of how, you know, it's like might as well go do that event because it's fun and I need to go do a six hour ride anyways kind of thing. Um, but now it's. Yeah, now it's it's a, an interesting juggle of, like, making sure I take enough rest. I think that's the biggest thing that we've learned. Um, and then also making sure that I do long rides that aren't, like, balls to the wall the whole time. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which is very difficult to do, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, so in gravel racing, what do you find to be, like, the biggest challenge? Is Is it just like the distance is it fueling is it heat like what's what's like the hardest part for you yeah the hardest part for me would be the heat I think I think I've figured out a lot of the other pieces and I say that because I had success the first four dirty Kansas that I did and then last year was my fifth one and it was the hottest one it was a new route like a a new direction that we hadn't been before so we didn't really know what the temperatures were going to do in different in the different areas that we were going to be in and it destroyed me, like absolutely destroyed me. And I haven't ever felt, I mean, I was like two hours in and I felt like puking already. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where it was like so early and the sun was baking so much beforehand that I remember riding out there and I was with a couple guys and we had just left the first checkpoint and some guy was like, man, I feel like I'm going to puke. I just feel so weird. And I remember looking at him and being like, thank God I'm not the only one. What is going on out here? <laughs> And that was, if you talk to a lot of people that raced last year, the heat destroyed a lot of people. Yeah. And I, and it's been my kryptonite ever since. Like, it's just, I don't know. And I, I've heard that once you have, like, those heat stress problems, it's a lot easier to get them uh, in, like, future scenarios. So, yeah, I think that's something I'm going to have to learn how to deal with. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like you're not the only cyclocrosser that deals with it. I think, actually, like, people who gravitate towards cyclocross tend to not be as good in the heat. Um thinking about like I'm picturing like Megaly Rochette like passing out after Rochester and then having the same problem like the next year in Vegas like a lot of cyclocrossers really thrive in the cold conditions yeah exactly (laughs) um so it sounds like you you really think through a course then like before a big race because you were mentioning like you didn't know where the sun was going to hit or how it was going to hit so what does your like pre-race strategy look like do you like pull out a map or how do you think through that uh, stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think I had the privilege of riding a lot of the 100-mile course because I usually get invited to go do Dirty Kansas. has like a training camp in April before the, the big event each year. Mm-hmm. So luckily, I knew part of what the course was going to entail last year. Um, but in terms of like actual planning and stuff like it's funny because I think I look at these long events the same way I would a cross race like when you go on pre-ride you know you're looking at corners things to look out for where you need to be like shifting wise on your bike out of things and 
Um, I do the same thing with the, the big longer events. Maybe the, the bigger changes would be like looking at the wind throughout the day, especially for the longer events. Um, and so like going into last year, I knew that as long as I got to like the 150 mile point, there was supposed to be a tailwind for the end of the day. So it's like little things like that, that can be an edge that, you, you know, you might not necessarily think about wind direction for cross and stuff unless it's crazy. Um, but yeah, so just mostly nutrition, hydration, planning, um, the wind direction, temperatures, stuff like that. The one that, um, Colin Strickland tells the funny story about last year when he had gotten away in the in the group in the beginning and he was riding with Payson and he told Payson like hey there's gonna be a tailwind for like the last 75 miles and he said that Payson looked at him and was like so and Colin <laughs> said that he knew that that was the moment that he was he was like well I'm, I'm gonna leave you and I'm just gonna go win this thing because you don't even care that that's gonna be a major thing down the road <laughs> oh that's hilarious and that's what he did yeah yeah, that's so, so it's like good. little things like that. <laughs> yes. And I mean, okay, we have to talk. So we have a ton of listeners who either have Dirty Kanza on their bucket list or have done it or are doing or are hopefully doing it again this September and stuff. So talk through your fueling and nutrition strategy. How do you come up with the strategy? What have you found works? And is there anything that doesn't work? Yeah, and it's it's a good question. And the main piece of advice that I tell people is to keep a notebook. Um, I have a notebook. I love of, notebooks. Like, I love this. I I'm, I'm already <laughs> on board. <laughs> yeah, I have a notebook that's like just nutrition and hydration. And like after events or before events, I write down what the plan is. And then afterwards, if it's like a, an event that I'm traveling for, usually like on the plane ride home, I'll write down everything that like I actually did um, and compare it, you know, take some notes about how I would change it for the future. And that's been the thing that determines what I need to do for at future events. Because so many times, like, people invest so much money into going and doing these things and traveling and going so far, and they don't take the time to do the homework. And so that's what I tell people is, like, just bring a notebook with you always. Write it in Training Peaks if you have to. I don't care. But you're going to forget these things because I always do. And it's been a really big thing for me just to write it down. And that's why I don't like telling people a bottle an hour or a bar an hour, you only use gels, only do this because I've gone through every scenario and it's all in that notebook and I can tell you what works and what doesn't work for me. Yeah. And that's my biggest piece of advice is like, you're going to be completely different than me and I respect that, but you need to take the time to figure that out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's no one formula for it. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, so with, with like the, the heat from last year in mind, if you were heading into the race again and it was actually like how if it happened on schedule, what would you do differently to deal with the heat? Any any thoughts? Yeah, I mean there were a few things that I just missed last year with all the like hustle and bustle of everything leading up the day before. Like I didn't take preload that night or that morning just because either I forgot or I didn't pack it. I don't even remember what the case was. But looking back, like I made a few decisions that didn't help really. Um, and David thinks that all of us were just super dehydrated that morning because it had been that hot the whole week that we were there. So the two, three days before, like we're still sweating a ton and we're just drinking like normal California stuff, but we're not compensating (laughs) for what is actually happening. So, um, yeah, I just would have done things differently beforehand. I don't know if there's much I could have changed that day, but I, I don't think I set myself up for the best success 
a couple days before. I feel like that prehydration thing, though, is so key. And it's something that so many people don't think about because we all know carb loading. We're all like aware whether we're like just the carb loading like the night before, like people start thinking about like carbs a couple days out. But like no one really thinks that hard about like hydrating on the daily basis and like yeah that (laughs) yeah and I'm so bad at that like I'll there'll be days where it's like four o'clock and I'm like I've only had coffee today (laughs) so yeah yeah, I just need to be better about it in general (laughs) same here I'm like literally sitting here talking and I have like these just like sitting here and I still haven't taken a sip from either of them today it's like two giant water bottles yeah like every day I'm like today's the day I'm gonna drink water and yeah coffee I feel like right now the the joke is like you go from coffee to beer or coffee to wine and there's no like middle of the day for water anymore it's just it all blends especially now yeah Yeah. exactly um and I mean okay so speaking of right now I mean, races are getting canceled left and right. I imagine this has thrown your season into some chaos. What What are you focusing on right now? Like, how are you? How are you staying motivated? What does training look like? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that this, the past couple weeks, has been that pivot point of like, okay, now everything through August. Now, like half of September is done, um, and it, it's been hard. It's been hard to refocus, honestly. Like as soon as I came back from Mid South. Um, that was a whole crazy story in itself getting back, you know, okay, we're just going to lay low for a while. Um, and then as everything started getting canceled, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going back to endurance miles or like, you know, just riding to ride for fun. And then we're like two and a half months into that. I'm like, okay, well now what? Cause I've just been doing two months of like riding, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it's one of those things where I talked to a few sponsors and they're like, Hey, we're not pressuring you to do anything, but we think that you need to pivot towards some other type of content, which I totally respect. Like they, they still want the value of their athletes and they can still get that. We just have to figure out how to do it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've done a lot of podcasts, uh, which has been nice. Did a few interviews like with Shimano and stuff. And I'm now finally at that point. USAC just did the their webinar like a week and a half ago about riding in groups and what events are going to look like in, in the future. And I wanted to pay attention to those to see what was like going to be acceptable for me to do in terms of like even just meeting up with a videographer that I don't know. Like, is that okay to go do and like meet up with this person and work on a different project? Um, And so it seemed like the takeaway from that was that these small things are going to be okay moving forward. We just have like to take the right, you know, mitigation strategies to do it. Yeah. Yeah. so yeah, it's just been the focus has changed to like a different kind of storytelling basically. Yeah. And because of that, like we want to do a couple projects in Mammoth uh, in the summer and in the fall. And so now I'm like, okay, well, I better start training because I got to make sure I can <laughs> survive that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's definitely a weird balance. It's funny, I was, co- uh, I was teaching a couple of... Um, like sponsorship courses for like junior athletes uh, in Ontario, oh, yeah. Saskatchewan, uh, based on my, my new book. And, it, you know, it's super interesting getting those kids to be writing like racer resumes and kind of putting together like how to write a cover letter and like how to actually, you know, speak confidently to sponsors and stuff. And the one thing I kept coming back to was exactly what you just said, which is like, okay, right now you can't, I mean, A, it's just weird to email a sponsor right this second or like a new yeah. sponsor right this second. Yeah, yeah what are you doing? But 
you know, as like for sponsors you do have, you have to be figuring out like what what's like another thing you can do that isn't just like there's no racing. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it and that's it's really interesting because I think the athletes that are really good at storytelling right now are like without all of this, they're really good at storytelling uh, the events that they go to and the content that they make and stuff. They're doing fine. Yeah. And I feel like the athletes that rely on the results and going to events and stuff are struggling a little bit. And it's like, I, I wish everybody could come together and figure out, you know, what's going to be that evolution. Because, I mean, the scary thing is, uh, we I was on this uh, webinar thing yesterday, and the, the doctor who's helping USA Cycling, Dr. Rashawn, I asked him point blank, I was like, what is the end game here? Because USAC is like coming up with these things of like how to do registration and how to set up your porta potties and all this stuff at events in the future, which is great. You know, like you set them six feet apart, you do all this stuff, that's fine. But I said to the doctor, I was like, but what, when do we stop that? And yeah. he was like, he was like, well, one of two things. It's either when we have a vaccine or there's much more her herd immunity. And I'm like, that's in like 18 months from when all of this started, which is fall of next year. Yeah. And so everybody's going to have to figure out how to deal with this right now. And I think that that's the scary part is is a lot of people have been waiting. And now we're at the point where like now we all have to pivot to something new, <laughs> no matter who you are. Yeah. And okay, I have to ask Mid-South, how was that? Like during that like weekend, did you know that things were starting to get kind of bananas or was it was it still kind of in a bubble? Because we were in Spain at the time. So I have like no real idea of like how it felt being in the US then. So what was that like? Yeah, it was crazy. And it was crazy that it was that weekend. Um, we, after that weekend, I came back and we recorded a podcast for Grodio about everything that happened and the evolution of it all. But essentially what it boiled down to was every day that I was there, because I got there on Wednesday, it just got worse and worse and worse. And Courtney McFadden got there the same night as me and she texted me. She was like, can we meet up for dinner? Because I just feel really weird and I need somebody to hang out with. And I was like, yeah, no problem. And I was in, you know, SoCal. It wasn't that big of a deal at the time, but where she had just come from, it was a much bigger deal in the yeah. Pacific Northwest. And so we went and she came and talked to us. And I think everybody that was sitting at the table was like, man, Courtney's like really freaked out about this. And that was first time that all of us were like maybe we should be paying more attention to yeah. it should we yeah, be freaked yeah. out and about this is, yeah yeah exactly that's how yeah that's how the conversation was going and um she even said to me she was like I wish I was living under the rock that you're living under right now because <laughs> she was like she was like you are you don't understand the gravity of this yet and I'm like okay I get yeah I guess so and then you know each day it got worse and then it got to the point where athletes were making posts about not even coming that next day yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, that was when I realized, and it had only been a few days before that they had canceled sea otter. And so it just progressively got worse and to the point that like the night before the race, I felt guilty for even starting because all of that stuff, the mountain bike races were happening in SoCal and I was seeing all the buzz around people, you know, pissed that they were going to cancel, not going, you know, not choosing not to race and all that. I'm like, well, Maybe that's the same thing that's happening here. It just hadn't been that big of a deal yet. Um, mm -hmm. But what, what but do you yeah. do when you're you're there? Right. Like I know, and lo yeah, looking back, it's just like 
did everybody make the right decision? I don't know. We were just all so in this bubble of racing. And like, as an athlete, you're like, I'm just focused on, I'm going to get this done and then get home, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, it was definitely hectic, but that was the turning point was that weekend. (laughs) Yeah. Was it so like, did you have like the two weeks of relief when you got home? Cause that's, that's how we felt when we got home from Spain. It was just like just being in our own little bubble and just being like, okay, we're home. We're good. Like nothing else matters. Like not really stressed on training or any of that stuff. Just like glad to be home. Yeah, exactly. And that's how we felt. We got home. We went to the grocery store the next day, got stuff. I was like, now we can just camp out. We're done. Yep. Yep. (laughs) We're going to (laughs) hide. Hey, Peter, what does a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach do? Well, Molly, let me tell you, I work with busy people that want to do big, crazy adventures. You know, these are people who have kids, they have families, they have all sorts of work stuff they got to do, but they have big goals. They maybe want to do a big mountain bike race, hundred miler, something like dirty Kanza. They might just want to keep up on the group ride. And all these things are really, really cool adventures and really good breaks from all the other stuff we have going on in our, in our busy lives. Right. So I help people do that. And so I really like programming and finding ways that we can fit movement into their lives. Sometimes that involves, you know, consultation around movement or trying to work through some sort of injury. Uh, and sometimes it's just dealing with, you know, fitting stuff in and getting the work done. So that's what I do. I, I coach and I build training plans and, you know, that's, that's what a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach does in my case. And how can people get in touch with you if they're interested in, in well, chatting with you? You're on the consummate athlete podcast. You go to consummateathlete.com. You can find coaching links on that website. Awesome. Thanks, Peter. This is like a weird thing, but I feel like people who've been racing gravel are actually almost like a little luckier than the people who are focused on more like cyclocross and mountain bike. Cause I do feel like gravel, you can kind of almost pivot to a little bit more like fun adventure riding and still kind of enjoy the riding instead of like being like pissed that you're not, you know, racing every weekend. Like if you were still racing mountain bikes. Yeah, for sure. No, it's a good point. Like it was just an immediate shift to like, okay, adventure, maybe some bikepacking stuff, ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's, yeah, it's a very good point. <laughs> kind of business as usual, just without a, a finish line. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that it's funny. Cause I feel like a lot of the sponsors started realizing the value in that anyways. So, cause Niner, you know, they had the Cliff Pro team, the not the women's side, the men's t- side, that Cliff, the Cliff Bar team, I guess. Um, and they had been focusing on racing and all this stuff. But then when they had Rebecca and a couple other athletes that were more focused on the adventure and like having fun and riding bikes, I think that they made the decision to focus less on athletes that were very like results driven and more about the stories and just being committed to dirt in general and not like needing to go pay money to get across the finish line first kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, how has, how has your feeling changed on that in the past few years or like as you've gotten more into gravel or even just like more mature as a racer, are you still like, like cyclocross worlds is where I want to be or have you kind of started to kind of embrace more of the fun on dirt side? I think either way is uh, great, by the way. That was not yeah, like, a, yeah. I realized that like sounded really leading. And I'm like, I don't mean it to be leading. I think Crossroads no, no, no. is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's a good it's a good point, though, because I there's a lot of pressure involved in the results side of it. Um, 
And so I've definitely had to make sure that there's a healthy balance, definitely. And, and there's events that I go to that I just want to be at and have fun and finish it, like a lot of people. And then there's ones that I go to, like, okay, I have a result in mind that I want to get. And that's more for, like, the longer stuff. For cross, it's always it's always cutthroat. It's cross. Like, I'm always, you know, trying to do as good as I can. Um, but it's finding that balance on, you know, spring and summer months where I can say, like, I want to do well at DK and I want to do well at one other one and the rest of them. I'm okay with, like, either training through it or resting through it or whatever whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And I mean, actually, on the note of spring, summer, and then fall, winter, um, you kind of accidentally are in like a full year round racing uh, thing. How do you yeah. how do you stay reasonably recovered during that whole thing? Do you ever plan for specific time off or anything like that? Yeah, and I I was really bad at it when Cross Nationals was still in January oh, uh, yeah. because it just yeah it just felt like I was always always doing something and then if if a world's position was a goal then you know even after that you're still training for that next week and always focusing on something but now that that's moved to mid December I feel like I uh, am able to take like a you know two or three weeks off this past year I took like three weeks off doing absolutely nothing. Um, which I hadn't done in a while. So it's definitely been a learning experience. And yeah, there were definitely two or three years where it was go, go, go all the time. And that led to me getting like really sick that following cross season. And I had a terrible uh, season of like ups and downs and kept getting sick and all this stuff. And yeah, it's, it's it's a tough one because cross is so points focused. That as soon as you have a bad season and you get bumped out of whatever, then it, everything's yeah. like FOMO and you can't get back in. And yeah, it's tough. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, and yeah. I have to ask about favorite gravel gear. So what is your normal like gravel race or like gravel ride setup look like? Do you do like hydration pack? What bike are you riding? What saddle have you found works? Give me all the details. All right. So in the beginning, they're cross bikes. That was uh, that was how DK was won and all that. And then over the past six years or so, the evolution of the gravel bike came. And along with that, all the components and everything. So I felt like in the beginning, we were forcing stuff to work that wasn't necessarily made for that. Um, and it's been nice to work with a lot of companies that have chosen to jump on that idea of like riding bikes off-road for long distances is cool because they've made things comfortable around that Mm -hmm. um so niner for example coming out with that gravel bike honestly when they told me they were making a gravel bike i was like do we need that because that was like where i was then (laughs) yeah the cross bike's fine i don't know what you're talking about but as you start getting on this equipment that's like made for that specific discipline it makes a world of difference Mm -hmm. um but yeah, so Niners been my bike sponsor. Um, Easton was my sponsor for a long time until this past year, actually. Um, and that was a really fun company to work with uh, because they really did a big push on their wheel sets to make sure that the internal rim width was right for these new tubeless uh, tires and everything that came with that evolution of like a wider tire, less pressure, tubeless, all that. Um now I work with Shimano, so they still have some great stuff. And obviously Shimano pushing GRX back a couple seasons ago, they invited a bunch of big wigs from Japan to come, and they went and toured like all these different gravel races in the U.S. 
And that was the shift that made them believe in focusing on that group set. And so last year it was like a real privilege to be able to ride that stuff. Um, cause I had always been, you know, make an XTR rear derailleur work and hook it up DI two. And it, it's great. It's fine. It gets the job done. And I, I won two dirty Kansas on that. Um, and it, it worked great, but then, you know, they realized that that can be optimized better. And so GRX is great, super comfortable in the hoods and all that. For the longer distance events, I do wear the backpack like you were asking. Um, there's a company called Orange Mud that makes a bunch of running stuff. That's how they got into it. And the owner started doing these longer bike racing events and was like, well, this is a good application for the bike, too. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, so that was how that started. And uh, it's it's funny because if I go on a gravel ride with somebody and it's like their first or second time, there's always the revelation of it's really hard to eat on the bike if it's like bouncing around all the time and it's really hard to grab a bottle because you're just mm-hmm. not thinking about it. And uh, so that's the backpack's been a huge thing for a lot of people just out of convenience because you can grab here, you can just get the hose, and you're not worried about taking your hands off the handlebars, which is something a lot of people are, are actually nervous about. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you fit more water in there. There's more space right. for snacks. Like, I don't right, really yeah. see a downside to it, honestly. Yeah, yeah, and that, like, you asked me if I would change anything, you know, for the heat hydration-wise and everything from last year, and that's why I can't say no too much in the race because, like, I had it all there, you know? It's like whether it was there, it was just so hot and it's hard to drink and all yeah. that. <laughs> that is maybe the one downside with hydration packs because I was just running on the weekend with mine and, yeah, like, by the end of – I did, like, a full marathon in, you know, 85-degree weather and with just, like, a hydration pack on. And The problem with wearing a hydration vest is – it's heavy. And so I yeah. think I sweat probably like, you know, 50% more because I'm like wearing yeah. like bundled up basically. Yeah. yeah. You're not letting your skin breathe. Yeah, for sure. I do think that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. And you know, warming up your water just perfectly. Just yeah. really, really tasty. Love that warm. Mm, great. Mm. Body temp water. <laughs> yeah. Body temp noon. Super delicious. <laughs> not not my not my finest hour but it got it gets the job done i've always thought about freezing the hydration pack but i've also heard like horror stories about that because it like doesn't unfreeze at the bottom so you like end up not like that's like the last part to unfreeze so you're like waiting for that to happen oh i haven't drank in two hours because i can't (laughs) yeah exactly so maybe like freezing half of it and then like filling it in the morning or something i don't know that might be That might be my That's next... actually a good idea. I might try that, yeah. Right? Yeah. You just have to make sure you don't do it where it's, like, freezing into the hose. So you just have to, like, pull mm-hmm. it up and, like, coordinate it in your freezer properly. <laughs> so yeah, I'm visualizing this. I think we could do it. <laughs> yeah. All right. We might have to make, like, a little video of this for the show notes. Yes. <laughs> we've solved the problem. We've cracked it. <laughs> um, okay. And... The other thing I need to talk to you about is puppy training, because you guys are a few months ahead of us with having a puppy. Um, best advice, and what do you wish you knew? Oh, man. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I wish, I mean, I thought I had good patience. I wish I could go back and tell myself to have more. <laughs> uh, because everything, it comes around eventually. It's just so hard. Like that first week of like trying to do the crate training and like trying to convince him to go in there. And then 
he doesn't want to so you spend an hour trying to get him to think it's okay to go in there and like I wish I could have just fast forwarded because now he goes in by himself and he doesn't even question it but in the beginning it was like oh my god I can't do this yep um but yeah it was like about a month after getting him I got this ad on Facebook for this like online training stuff um, and they were running this deal where it was like 30 bucks and it was like a 30 day challenge and you got these videos every day and you could play, it was a game that you were going to play each day with your dog. And they were convinced that by the end of it, the dog was going to be more focused on you, less distracted by things in its environment and only want to pay attention to you. I was like, game on, I'll do that for 30 bucks, <laughs> like a dollar a day. If you can promise me that I'm in. <laughs> And so the first day, the, the first thing that they tell you is is to, you're going to be feeding your dog out of the bowl, like, you're not going to just, like, set it on the floor. All the stuff that you're, the games that you're going to be playing each day, you're playing with their food, basically. And so that's how you're feeding your dog, is you're making it entertaining. And, like, within a week, he's always paying attention to us. And not just because of food reasons, but because he wants to. Yeah. And it was that, that shift in, like he that is some sort of reward for like always paying attention to us became a thing that that connected to him of like he has to pay attention to us and come back um and he gets something for it and yeah so we just we just finished the 30 days and it worked really well like I would I would highly suggest it um in the sense that like when we first got him and I was feeding him just out of the bowl and stuff you know I have treats but like I feel like I'm giving him too many to get him to understand what I want and then I'm like, he's probably eating too much. But then as soon as you just do it with the food that you're supposed to be giving him normally, mm-hmm. it was fine. Um, but yeah, like we want to be able to do things like ride with him. Uh, so he's like running next to us on the bike with a leash and hiking. It would be cool if I could take him off leash in the mountains at some point. That's still scary. Uh, so those <laughs> yes. things we wanted to make sure. Yeah, we wanted to make sure that he was going to have like some sort of recall with us. Um, and so far, so good. <laughs> nice. Um, you'll have to send me what that 30 day thing was so I can try it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. This guy has very selective hearing for sure. Like, (laughs) but that, yeah, that's my biggest thing. Like, even if you don't want to spend the money and do it, just like take the food that you give him in the morning and just play with it and like, do like throw it, play catch, do whatever. Um, and it makes it more fun. It's a little bit more time consuming, but you'll see that all of a sudden he's like, Hey, you're interesting. Yeah. I like yeah. you. Yeah. And I mean, really, what, what else are we doing? So exactly. <laughs> worth a shot for sure. <laughs> awesome. Um, and then, oh yeah, we're, we're both on the wide angle podium network. So what's, what's up with Grodio? Oh yeah, we took a I mean a long hiatus now. It was the the whole point of the show was to talk about like the pointy end of grapple, I would say, and without the racing and everything there hasn't been much to talk about. Um I've considered doing a show on what athletes have been pivoting to instead, like Rebecca just did that giddy up challenge. Mm-hmm. Ted's been doing that DIY gravel, which is really cool. So I wanted to have a conversation around what that that shift has looked like for everyone, um, which I think we'll do eventually. But yeah, it's a it's an interesting show. I'm sure it'd be interesting to go back and listen to some stuff if people hadn't listened to it yet, Mm -hmm. because we talk about the the racing at the front, essentially. And as much as gravel is about the mass participation and it's an every man sport, um, 
it's more about just finishing it than racing it. it the truth of the matter is the front end is also really interesting yeah <laughs> yeah and so people want to know about it yeah for sure and I mean I think I'd say most of our listeners would go into it you know with like the major goal of finishing but like also with some performance goals so to me like the tips you can get from listening to how the, the pointy end goes, I think, gives you a ton of, like, really good insights into, oh, okay, this is how to, you know, handle this aid station, or, you know, this is, like, the best piece of gear for this job, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, or, like, how not to do things, because also we're that. the crazy ones at the front. <laughs> yeah. Yes, so. definitely, definitely that. Um, yeah, and you and I are going to have to jump on the, the green room for Wide Angle Podium soon and talk all about what it's like being the very few female podcasters in cycling and definitely on, on our network. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that would be fun. I love that. It's Or just, like, few women doing media stuff in general. For also that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely. And then where can everyone find you online and follow along with, with the stuff that you're, you're working on right now? Because you have a couple projects that are in the works. Yeah, yeah. If you type in Amanda Nauman, I'm sure I'll come up on Instagram and Twitter um, and Facebook and all that fun stuff. The new project this year is Mammoth Tough, so you can find mammothtough.com. Um, the Twitter and Instagram as well, just Mammoth Tough. But that's a new project that we're working on, an event in September. Um, and, yeah, this just, yeah, I guess everything that's probably going to come out in the next few months will just be either on my channel or that. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much for being on. This has been this has been great. Even even without gravel racing, I'm like excited to get on my bike and go for for a good long gravel ride yeah. now. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, this is really fun. I enjoyed talking to you. Like like you said, I feel like we've always like just danced around each other in different it's areas. So funny. Of <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even like I remember when we ran into you at baggage claim at like the airport in Brussels once yes. or wherever. <laughs> Maybe it was even Paris. I don't, it was like, oh, hey, Molly. <laughs> it's yeah. The, the wonderful world of cyclocross. I love it. <laughs> Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. While you still have your podcast app open, do us a huge favor, head over to iTunes or whatever app you're listening in and rate and review the podcast. It's super helpful. It, you know, gets us more guests on the show. It gets me a dog. Um, and it's just, you know, a good way to give back if we've provided any kind of value to you throughout all of the episodes you've listened to. If you're looking for the show notes, you can find those at www.consummateathlete.com. We have lots of other content over there and any information about coaching or events can also be found at that same website. And you can find us on the social medias at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And we would love to hear from you. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week. Dear cycling friends, we accept the fact that we have created the premier gravel and road racing podcast, and we don't think you're crazy to ask us who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a hobby blogger, a gravel pro, and a curious newbie. And you can find us on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours the Grodio Podcast.